The word of the Lord starting John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we have the helper working within us. We have it promised here. We ask that he would be very busy in this time, exercising his power and giving us understanding of the scriptures, giving us conviction of sin, assurance of your promises, giving us faith, sanctifying us. May he be busy in both the speaker and all of us as we listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love watching commercials, not for commercials' sake, but I love looking at what the actual message is of the commercial. You know, not what they're, they're saying on the surface, not what the words are actually saying, but what the, the actual commercial is about. 
One of my favorite commercials, uh, or series of commercials, they come around every year, I guess, every Christmas time. Uh, it's a car company, a very expensive car company, and they always run a kind of a similar version of the same commercial. It's a husband and wife, and the husband shows he just adores his wife. And the way that he adores his wife is by financing a $65,000 car without telling her and then presenting it to her without her knowing on Christmas morning or whatever in the snow and the children are there and she's excited and it's absolutely perfect and it's the one that she's always wanted with all of the features that she's even dreamed of and the APR is just perfect and you just can't be... I I love that commercial. I love it for a number of reasons. One, because it plays on the American consumerism and greed so beautifully. But because of how wickedly it distorts what it means to show love. I mean, in this setting, what does it mean to show love? Well, it it means in the story, it means that he's taking on a massive debt that's well-financed, but still massive debt without telling his wife, because that's an excellent choice. Right? Brilliant idea there. He's deciding for her exactly the color and all of the features that she likes. Which, again, I've only been married 13 years, but that's risky at best. And doing it as a surprise. But that's how we show love today. Another company... Their standard marketing scheme, again, I love it. It's magnificent. Uh, with diamonds. How does a man show love for a woman? Well, once a year, he blows three paychecks on one single rock, hopefully well-financed, and doesn't worry about anything the other rest of the weeks or the months of the year. Like, I wonder, I always sit there and go, I wonder how many men... Watch those commercials and are tricked into actually believing them. To say it doesn't matter how much of a dirtbag I am the rest of the year, as long as I spend a lot of money, of our hard-earned money, on her, on this one thing, well, it'll be all right. Well, obviously, it's a bit of nonsense, isn't it? I mean, we can laugh at that and see that it's, it's total nonsense. Buying an expensive car, though well-financed, uh, trusting your entire marriage down to a single piece of jewelry every year. It's absolute nonsense. And honestly, those are some of the better ones because a lot, if you listen to music, it's much, much worse. Their message is far more disturbing as the ways that you showcase love for one another. Jesus, interestingly, here gives us another solution. It's not a solution based on technology. It's not a solution that's based on income. It's not a solution, thank the Lord, that's based on debt. Instead, he's going to give us another way as his people. How might we show that we love him? And again, we pay attention to the scriptures and we recognize that if if God says something, it's important. We get that. That makes sense. I mean, it is God. It is a limited number of words. It is important if he says it. But if he says it twice, well, that's probably fairly important, wouldn't you think? Well, oh no, In, in this passage, actually, he says it more than twice. 
Three times in the positive, one time actually in the negative. Four times in just a couple of paragraphs. What does it mean for God's people to love the Lord? Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now again, he says it positively and then negatively later in the verses, but that's your theme. If you are God's person, you show Christ your love. You show the Father your love, the Spirit your love in your obedience. Now, I have to start with something because you could easily mistake and go, well, you just talked about the opposite of that in Sunday school, didn't you? And the importance is the order. If you love Christ, if you have been transformed by Christ, if you have already been made new, your heart has been transformed, then love follows, then obedience follows. You see, there are some, and and honestly, the fallen heart loves this idea to reverse the order. To say that if I keep his commandments, then he will love me. I can think how many of you converted later in life, or maybe you had a, a new period of renewal in your heart as a believer and then transformed, but thinking about how much you spent in your heart going, well, as long as I'm a good person. Well, okay, maybe not if I'm a good person, but I'm just better than the other people's. Maybe if I'm just, I don't know, God will like me if I do certain things, if I behave certain ways, if I'm the certain kind of person. And we reverse that, and that's the problem, because that's not the basis here. Here, Jesus is speaking to his own. Remember, Judas Iscariot's already gone. It's just the 11 disciples now. He knows they're all believers. He knows they're Christians. He knows they've been transformed. And speaking to them, he says, okay, now, if you are mine, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, what do we do with that? Well, one is to be sure that we've got the order correct. So I would then start by saying, if you're an unbeliever in the room, this doesn't apply to you. He's going to say that later. If you're an unbeliever in the room, you have bigger problems than that, but you can't actually keep his word. Paul made that point clear in Romans 8. You're unable. Your heart has not been made new. You cannot please God and nothing you do will please him. You cannot obey him if you do not know him you must be transformed okay there's our unbelieving caveat out of the way rest of us christians in the room what do we do well if you are god's child and if you love him you are to keep his commands i'll maybe even say it a little bit differently if you are a child of god you must keep his commands Now, does that mean that we will keep them perfectly? Well, I mean, obviously not. I wouldn't have a job, right? I mean, if you kept all of God's commandments perfectly, you would have no need of me as a pastor. You would have no need of counsel. You would have no need of someone to go, okay, I I was dumb today. How do I apologize? Okay, fine. I'll help you with that. No, but instead it means that we are to, one, actively with all of our energy, with all of our effort, with all of our being, seek to obey him. 
It's the defining element of what it means to be a Christian. How do you know? Well, Christians have been transformed. Therefore, they seek to keep his commandments. When you think about this, it makes sense. Jesus starts his ministry. He goes out for his first sermon ever recorded in the Bible and the Gospels. And what are the first thing he makes? His first point. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, blessed are. But what is he doing with the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed, what is he doing? He's walking through what it means to this right here, to keep the commandments of God. It's verbalized in a different way. It's illustrated differently, but it's the same thing. If you love the Lord, if you are one of his, you will work hard at holiness. That's one element of it. The other side of it is that if you've been transformed, he's going to make sure that happens. He loves you so much that he's not going to let you continue being a buffoon forever. He will not let you you continue being a lazy lump on a log forever. He will make sure you are motivated to change. I will let you in a little secret. Most often that motivation is through things that are unpleasant. Make you uncomfortable in one place. And we say that differently here. We say necessity is the mother of invention. Put differently, <laughs> uncomfortability is the motivation for change. The Lord loves you so much. He's not going to let you stay this way forever. He's going to make sure you're transformed. It'll be completed when you die or when Jesus comes back and you're promoted to heaven. But he loves you so much. He will not let it continue the way you are. Now, I would gently, very quickly make one point of application before we even go any further. If this is the defining kind of portrait of what God's people are, if you have been transformed by Christ, if you have been made new, all of the proper caveats, if you have already been justified, you are laboring to keep his commandments, my simple question is, are you actually trying to do that? John, not in this book, but in 1 John, is going to make the point where he's going to say, look, believers, if you look at the church and you see people that make no effort to keep the commandments of God, you have no reason to believe they are Christians. Therefore, feel comfortable excommunicating them. That's a little bit stronger. He's an older man at that point and I think has probably gained a little bit more wisdom in how to articulate things and certainly has um, suffered greatly for Jesus. But what a point to make. If this is kind of our operative way to see what Christianity is and the people of God is to say, look, here's a person who's attempting with all of their being to obey the commandments of God. That is what Christianity looks like. Now notice it's not successful. It's attempting with all of their being. Some of us lack wisdom. Some of us lack success for all of our effort. Now hopefully... I'm preaching the sermon correctly and you're actually listening. Hopefully at this point you should feel a little bit of tension in your soul. 
Because you should be feeling, honestly, you should be sitting there going, I'm not trying my hardest if I'm going to be honest. You should be saying, you should be thinking that. I'm not. I'm not, you know, working as hard as I could at godliness. I mean, there were those like eight times this week where I was like, meh, I don't really care. Or you should be sitting and thinking, I'm already trying. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. It's exhausting. That's the correct response, both of those. To recognize that even in the midst of this effort to keep the commandments of God, you're still not big enough for it. And that's an amazing thing to think about. That transform, to have your dead heart torn out, to be given a new heart, justified before the Lord, to be transformed, you're still not big enough for the task of godliness. And Jesus recognizes this and immediately makes a proper transition, and it's a good one. If you love me, verse 15, you will keep my commandments. And again, the tension for the Jews listening, they're like, um... We've had the Old Testament. We've tried to keep your law. It is not working. What does Jesus say? And, oh, by the way, not done. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor know him. He will give you the Holy Spirit. And this is, I I love the tension that is placed here in the scriptures. It's beautiful. If you love Christ, your life will be characterized by attempted obedience. And I say attempted because you're not always going to be successful, but attempted obedience. And God knows that you will fail and gives you his spirit. We show our love for the Lord by our obedience. He shows his love for us in a multitude of ways, but one of them is giving us his spirit. And that gift of the spirit is one of those things that I think could easily be overlooked or underplayed and to not acknowledge all of the various things that he does in the people of God. Just look at some of the features of his ministry. He will be with you forever. You think about the disciples. This is taking place in the upper room. It's taking place at Passover. Jesus is going to acknowledge at the end of this, oh oh yeah, by the way, the people coming to betray me, they're kind of like right in route right now. So we should go so I can die. I've got an appointment with a cross and execution. We need to step out. Would the idea of someone being with you forever be a really comforting idea to the disciples at this point? Yeah, because they're about to feel unbelievably alone. I mean, Jesus dies, they all scatter, they go run in their little hidey holes, only the women are faithful. The disciples are, ah, I'm going to die too, and then to be able to go into their little hidey hole and to hear the words of Christ come back, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you his comforter and he will never leave you. I'll leave for a time, but he'll never leave you. He'll be with you forever. And not only will he be with you forever, but he will even be to you the spirit of truth. 
That's speaking of his illumining work. What he does inside of you is to open your mind so that you understand God's word and his scriptures. And for those that have been believers for a long time, you know this process where you can read a psalm for the 800th time. And if you read it genuinely, you sit down before it and try to submit yourself to it. What do you do? Like, I don't remember that. Oh, that's new. Oh, I need to think about it. It's like new truth coming out. Why? Because the Spirit is illumining it to you. He, he's enlightening your mind so that you can understand. It's why I'm preaching one of the most beloved and famous books of the Bible. And I trust that you will hear something every Sunday the Lord will work in your heart. Not because I am a brilliant preacher, but because the Spirit is a brilliant comforter in your soul illuminer of God's truth, applier of the salvation of Christ. Okay, so uh, he's the spirit of truth, but the world doesn't get him because they don't know him. But this is interesting. You know him. Why do you know him to the disciples? Why do you disciples already know him? Because he already dwells within you. In fact, actually, if you're going to have salvation at all, you must have the Holy Spirit within you. But he's saying here, he's already in you, but it's going to be in a different way. Because in just a matter of weeks, you're going to have this amazing thing where flames of fire kind of get on top of your head and the Spirit comes in you and speak in tongues and thousands of people are converted and the church is transformed. Pentecost. And He's going to be with you in a deeper and more intimate and more familiar way. And that's not just what he does. Verse 18 and 19, uh, Christ is going to go away, but a large part of what the Spirit's ministry is, is to join us with Christ. This is kind of the vocabulary of evangelicalism, and honestly, it's maybe a little bit imprecise. We say, Jesus lives in my heart. Well, he does through the Spirit. It's really the spirit that resides within me, for I know where Jesus resides right now. He's at the right hand of the Father above, but the spirit resides within me, and I am joined with Christ. I'm unified with Christ in the spirit. He is the one, the spirit that that is inside me, that joins me to Jesus, that gives me all of the benefits that Christ has given. And think about this. Look at the, the verse 19, what he does here. For a little while I will be here, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. Why? Because we have this spirit within us. Why do you know you go to heaven? Because Jesus has already gone and you are joined to Jesus. And then Jesus changes gears at this point and moves away from the spirit's work specifically in you to the Spirit's relationship to the Trinity. Verse 21, whoever loves me keeps my commandments. That's time number two. Why? Because my Father and I will love him, will manifest ourselves to him, and then Trinitarian theology comes into play. The Father has sent the Son. The Son is accomplishing the Father's... Uh, commands his plan for salvation and the spirit will apply all of that to us 
It's why we pray a prayer of illumination before the sermon every Sunday. And what do I say every single Sunday? Ask the Lord to send the Spirit to give us understanding in the Scriptures because He is illumining the work of Christ and the person of the Father that we may know and understand, that we may grow and believe Him. what do we do with this? I mean, it's neat and all. I mean, I guess it's comforting and all, but what do we do with this understanding that Christ has given the Spirit and the Spirit is working within us? Well, Paul is going to take this up in another part of the Scriptures and saying, so therefore, dot, 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 work with him instead of against him. You see, that's actually the kind of natural thought process that John is taking up here. uh, If you are God's child, then you are going to labor with all of your being to obey him because he's designed you that way. It glorifies him and it's good for you. But honestly, you're too weak to do that. So instead of attempting to obey him and labor uh, with all of your being to be righteous and holy, he gives you his spirit to be a helper, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to help you do this task so that it's possible. And in doing so, not just godliness, but also bringing us into relationship with the very Trinity himself, the Lord Almighty. What do you do with that? Well, you should love and worship the Spirit of God. And stop fighting Him. Labor with Him instead of against Him. When you read the Bible, ask the Lord to give you understanding. When you're asking, what you're asking for is the Spirit to work. When you feel tempted to sin, ask the Spirit to give you strength for holiness. When you have sinned, confess your sin and confess specifically to the Spirit, for He resides within you and you have violated Him even as you have violated the redemption of Christ or the commands of the Father. But not just that, but to think of the consequences. Jesus continues on and makes one specific application that's coming from this. Therefore, dot, 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 verse 27, peace be with you. You can, as a Christian, have peace. Your world does not need to be filled with turmoil or chaos. You may have objective peace. Why? How do I know that I can have peace? Well, because I have this spirit that's given to live within me. It's a down payment. It's a guarantee of Christ's redeeming work. How do I know that he died on the cross and that he was raised from the dead? Because I have this spirit within me. How do I know that I will go to heaven and follow my Savior who's gone before? Because I have this spirit within me. How do I know I can have hope in a hopeless world? Because I have the spirit within me. I may have peace with God and peace with man and peace even in my own mind because I have the Spirit within me.
we in the Reformed tradition sometimes by other parts of the church get uh, potentially a bad rap saying we have an underdeveloped understanding of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, truthfully, anyone who says that has no understanding of Reformed theology because Calvin has been termed, he's the theologian of the Holy Spirit, that they understood so clearly in the Reformation the role of the Spirit because he is the one, as is explained here, that is providing the fuel, the fire, the power in the saint. How can we say go and sin no more? How can we say go live godly lives? How can we say stop doing evil things? Because if you are God's child, you have the Spirit within you. You don't have to sin anymore. You realize that you don't have to. I mean, prior to conversion, you had to. That was your only choice. But you've been made new. You have a new heart. You have uh, the Spirit of God residing within you. You have victory living in you. Now, will you be perfect only on the other side of the veil, only after you perish or Christ comes back? But you don't have to live in failure now. You have the Spirit of God within you. You don't have to live in craziness of mind and heart. You have the Spirit of God living within you. You don't have to live in fear and terror. You have the Spirit of God within you. You can have real peace. For those of you that were converted later in life, this is your story. And you should tell it more often. Because you remember those days with the turmoil. Those days without the Spirit of God within you. You remember all of the brokenness and the angst and the difficulty and the fear and the insecurity and all of that. Don't lose that story. Tell it to your neighbors. Tell it to your friends. Tell it to your family. Because it's a great testimony. I know Christ is true because I feel the Spirit changing me from the inside out. For those of us that were blessed to be converted early and don't not know those things, I don't have that testimony. Of, I know what the, the terrors of life feel like, and now I know something new. Instead, I I have these stories of transformation of, look, this is something that I've struggled with, and look at how the Lord has sanctified me. I give all credit and glory to Him. Look at how fear has been removed because I trust in Him, because look at what God is doing. Look at how God gets all of the credit. But you see, this is key for our evangelism, honestly, and something I, I don't think the church maybe has been quite as successful in as they've thought they have been over the last 25 years is being clear and explaining the joy of being in Jesus. That if you love him, you have been given his spirit, you delight in his commands, Psalm 119, and it is joy. Go tell that story. The Spirit is within you, all power of God. We may know the Father, we may love Him, we may know the Son, we may love Him, we may know the Spirit, we may love Him, and in Him are peace and joy and hope and obedience. May it be so for us today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may your Spirit continue to work within us.
that the words of your text would be rooted in our soul. Bring them to mind later. Give us zeal and delight in obedience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.